Hello, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. Is it 6 a.m. over there, too? Or... Ah, it's 4. <laughs> 4 a.m., so I'm... You really wanted to record this early, didn't you? That's really interesting. You wanted... Well, yeah? I'm still... I, I used to live on the East Coast, and even now I do a lot of work uh, commissions for folks in Europe, so I'm on that timeline. Yeah, but I, I mean, that's still really interesting to do. I actually wake up around 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning myself, but the whole thing wow. is, yeah, I know, I know, but the whole thing is most of it is because of my cat, because she really likes to eat that early, and sometimes, you know, she wants to get me to get up uh, no matter what, and I just... I comply with my cat's wishes and demand. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking like I'm a servant to my cat. No, it's not that. I, I love my cat. She is adorable, uh, very loving. She's hyper as heck. And, you know, a lot of these interviews I've done, uh, I've had her in this room. Like, I locked, I, I closed the door and just let her in this room. I mean, be stuck in this room. And she, she would just drive herself crazy in the very beginning of it and just meow running around the room all that stuff but then there's some people where she's very interested it's just really weird like she chooses who she wants to pay attention to and then other times she just wants to leave what's but, her name uh hoops and she's a hoops. orange tabby an orange tabby br uh, breed cat hoops. oh yeah hoops is not here though hoops is not in this oh. room so it's Fine, but I have here today Lena. Uh, not not. How do you say it? Naz Nazi Nazi. The okay. I'm gonna butcher. Sorry, I'm butchering the, your last name. I'm well, not I think for... my mnemonic device will be very helpful. There's no easy way to say Nozi's way. Nozi way. Nozi's way. Okay. Lena Nozi's way, who is a uh, little storyteller and journalist. In fact, I saw. Some of your shorts leading up to this. You had one about your dad, uh, or trying to, or around his hair. I mean, about his hair. Uh, and it was you have like a couple of short films displayed on your website, and one of them also regarding Hello Kitty. So you've done some work all around. Uh, I mean, before I want to even get into it, I also want to address another thing because you mentioned before that uh, you were wondering, okay, why don't we just have a phone call or anything? The reason why I prefer, I mean, this is for all future interviews, but the reason why I prefer having my interviewee displayed on the computer in some way, because if you do a phone call with someone through the equipment I have, I, on the phone it may come out clear, it may be like, okay, we're talking, we're talking, but recording through here on Audacity will come out like, so the reason why I thought, and I'm like, okay, what, wait, what are you saying? Like, there was a couple of interviews I did do it over the phone, and I actually, I did have a little trouble trying to kind of under, to understand what they're saying. So that's something I don't really want to go back to. I mean, just in well, case. Sure, I, yeah. I understand. Yeah. I, I've done some interviews on Skype. In fact, I interviewed the police chief of Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, on with via Skype, so I, I can dig it. And I've done I've done some via phone as well, using even voice memos. So and and I I, I should have followed up because I did ask um, in one of the emails what the tech 
was going to be involved and uh i should have i should have followed up just to be prepared but i can dig it i mean you you want the best quality uh audio for a podcast that makes complete sense yeah well i mean the the best audio usually is just what two people are having their own uh or mic set up and everything but with people I'm interviewing, you know, not everybody is very tech savvy and has, you know, audacity and everything with them. So, I mean, I can make do with recording it straight from the computer and it will come out fine. But through the phone, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, the quality of the dialogue is minimalized in translation. But yeah, I mean, voice memo is an option. It's just that, you know, I've done so many interviews through my computer. That's just what I've been used to. But I mean, maybe in the future I might run into that scenario. But just yeah, I I kind of have been used to this uh, Audacity format. But Zoom is something you can get on your phone, uh, and it's something that a lot oh, of people sure. are using today. It's pretty much the it's really popular. It's the standard way to socialize now, because, I mean, that's something we're, we shouldn't be doing. At least we shouldn't, but, you know, in certain parts... Actually, no, I'm, what am I kidding? The U.S. sucks at dealing with this COVID-19 thing, especially here in Texas. How, oh, because of the numbers? or The numbers, what, what are you the, a lot of people not taking this as seriously as they should... You know, there are plenty of people out there trying to rebel of the idea of wearing a mask and staying six feet apart. Uh, over here in Texas, the management of it has been very sloppy as heck, and it still is. There are public gatherings happening later this week, and I'm like, th this is not the time to even be thinking about that when cases are rising up. I don't know how it is, though, because you're from uh, Southern California. Like, uh, how is COVID over there? Well, I think that there have been a lot of measures to, uh, you know, mitigate COVID-19. And for me, I, I, I thought, I mean, I think almost anybody could see it coming because it wasn't so much a political thing for me as it was what's happening in other countries. So, you know, months ago I was getting masks <laughs> and months ago I was asking because somebody who lives near me works at a hospital and I was asking about it and I do, you know, I shoot, you know, I do photography, still photography as well. And I wasn't shaking the hands of my subjects. I was like, well, what? before it was, it was the thing. So, I, and I looked at other what other countries were doing. To me, that was the warning. And when China started building hospitals in a hurry, not that you get all, uh, you know, full-throated information about China, but that's when I was like, hmm, what's going on here? So... It's not so much what people were saying, it was what they were doing. And that's when, when you, you heard about people being picked up off the streets in Italy for going outside when they shouldn't be. That's when I, you know, when it was against the law to do so in Italy, that got my attention long before there were any restrictions in the United States. And you have to figure those countries aren't doing all this for nothing. They want money. So... You know, they want an economy, so that's what that's what got my antenna up. No, and I think you made the smart decision because a lot of people here 
heavily underestimated this virus, and there are still people who do. I mean, oh, yes, yes you, definitely. And and here with Texas, our, our government was like, you know, we gotta reopen the economy quick. We need to make as much money as possible. And the only people that have been benefiting from it are the bigger tier companies, the small independent businesses. They've been suffering even in reopening, and and it shows that even when reopening the economy, they're still. They, they, I mean, people are still losing money, and because uh, that—that was the thing—is hey, we reopen the economy quick, we can save it and give it, get it back going. And, and from statistics, it turns out that no, I mean, people are still losing money, and things are still closing down. And not only that, but the, the fact that there was just a heavy underestimate, uh, underestimation on how serious this is through our part in the U.S. And, I mean, now this thing is out of control. The hospitals are already maxed out. And or at least over here, and I'm sure in other places too. But yeah, we Americans, we suck at dealing with COVID-19. And hopefully we can get our crud together and change things. Because, I mean, there was a recent report saying that, hey, if, you, if everybody wears a mask and stays six feet apart for eight weeks then the number of infections will dramatically decrease. Well, I think that one issue has been the messaging has been so uh, inconsistent, shambolic, (laughs) pick your word. The messaging has been very inconsistent from the beginning. And I think what's been, I consider myself sort of a skeptical optimist and you know, you're optimistic, you, you're like, when is this all going to be over? But with the shambolic messaging, you kind of, it, it leads you to a, a bit of despair because you really don't have a sense of when it, it really is going to be all over. And just because somebody says it's all over, you have to look at facts, you know? So it's, I think that's been the, the most challenging aspect of all of this is that you you want some kind of like okay gotta hunker down for a month okay gotta hunker down for two months okay gotta hunker down for three months okay gotta hunker down forever that's been the tough thing and i know that a lot of information has been in in coming in waves that even scientists don't really know what's going on i think that there's been inconsistency in messaging because you know, scientists didn't want regular folks, civilians to get masks, you know, initially the, you know, uh, masks, the hospital masks. So it's just been shambolic and it's it's been challenging. And I, I, I explained it to a friend of mine that it's like there are two monsters. There's the monster of the COVID-19 and then with the death of George Floyd, that's another monster that's always been in the room, but is revived and has grown bigger. And dealing with both those monsters is challenging simultaneously. Because, you know, anti-blackness, uh, racism has always been a monster, but then to see it revived in the sense of you know that video was uh, to this day I've, I could never look at it. it but just 
to to see the few seconds of that police officer being so nonchalant about killing a man that's a horrible uh, you know image even growing up knowing racism knowing anti-blackness but to have that it brings back a lot of memories and then to have this COVID-19 which does have such an uh, outsized impact on communities of color it's two monsters in the room you don't even have to look under your bed the monsters are right there so that's been challenging to deal with and as I said I'm a skeptic skeptical optimist so for me dealing with it has been to be creative and as you said i have done shorts regarding things around me and maybe um hoops would enjoy looking at hello kitty uh, but you know that that was one thing that was also about art and culture and a father to die for is a short about aging and really the love I have for my father and just trying to understand the, the, the shortest called the father to die for just to try to understand why he wants his hair to be black. And I just, you know, I wondered and just one day I said, I'm going to sit down and I had a recorder and I asked him. So those making art is one of the ways that I take off the edge. And my latest project is Unfollow Me, which is about your everyday kind of anti-blackness. Yeah. Being followed because of your color. And it's a very timely topic, but it's also an evergreen topic because it is that monster that's always in the room. Yeah, so I mean, real quick, I do want to address hoops with cats. she does not like other cats. Uh, you know what? The thing is, every morning we also have a cat that just just shows up on the on the backyard, and all the, for the the only purpose to basically screw with my cat. And those two would have a back and forth battle uh, with a door like uh, separating the two, and they would just keep smacking the door. Uh, so I don't know if Hoops would appreciate other cats, but uh, I mean that was really interesting to know that there's that adult love for Hello Kitty. I always think that there we have this thing of okay, you are too old to enjoy this thing. First, I just don't believe in that to be honest. I mean, you even look at Legos and how they always say on the box it's for like 8 to 14 but there's this whole community of adults who love building with Legos so I did really think that was cool of uh, the woman to have a little art store of Hello Kitty mixed with adult culture except for that one at the very end where it was like Hello Kitty half Hello Kitty half bone cat or something i don't even maybe it was like a zombie cat but uh that that was something outside of that it it all looks really cool i mean i'm not big into hello kitty but i think it's just really awesome that you have stores like that for those who still enjoy those cute like innocent things and i mean that's why adults 
Cam really latch onto the things like Hello Kitty or My Little Pony is that hey even even if originally you are told to be too old to enjoy this I mean there are people who like it for other reasons and they like dressing up as My Little Pony characters and they are adults so I mean you know there's nothing really wrong with that I don't really I'm not really that person who looks down at someone for enjoying things that uh, at, at the very start were aimed at little kids so it's cool that it does exist now well, I've always, yeah sorry no go, go ahead I've, I've always been very fascinated by subcultures or you know people what they love and for me it's always been no judgment but just trying to understand you know I, I've over the years I've done stories about runaways about the homeless about so many different and I was working on a story, but it didn't come to fruition about people that are into pet play. And that was another totally different subculture. And I always go in just trying to understand it's, it's how people live and how they cope. And, you know, to me, that's very fascinating. But maybe Hoops would like Hello Kitty because Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth. So... You know, hopes could be one in charge. I'm not particularly into Hello Kitty, but I'm into people who are into Hello Kitty. Yeah, I think that's that makes any that makes any sense. No, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, I I I think really Hoops would just not even pay attention to it, Uh, unless (laughs) you know, unless if it's a say a movie and it's an like a animal or or a cgi animal moving on the screen she will lock her eyes onto it definitely but i mean you know a a picture of hello kitty she's just not really going to make anything of it you i mean you put it in motion i'm sure there's like hello kitty movies and and, you know all that so maybe but i think she really reacts more to realistic or realistic looking animals so I, yeah, I don't think she, that would affect her, but yeah, and, and I I really commend you for, I mean, the, the rest of the things you do, I mean, even this too, but you mentioned, you know, the, the two monsters, which is are COVID-19 and racism, and, and you know what, there are some people who are like, you want know pick one, which one's worse, racism or COVID-19, and I'm like, well... I mean, why do you, why do you choose between the two? They're both they're both wrong. They're both deadly. I, I mean, I think we should be able to be wary of both things. And I mean, not not many people try to make that competition of hey, which is worse. But I mean, yeah. The the, the other thing to know is that other countries they've dealt with COVID nineteen much better than we we have. Or I mean, not every single country i'll say but other i mean i'll say for example ireland because uh, i did an interview i think last week or the week before but i interviewed chingeto from zimbabwe africa and i interviewed selvi demai who is a female black irish hip-hop artist and in ireland and she told me that you know we're handling COVID-19 just fine. I mean, there's plenty of racism going on in Ireland. There are women of color getting rejected on uh, big, on like top 
musicianless. Like they're not getting recognized that much. But regarding COVID nineteen, no, we're we're we've uh, did our thing, and we're now starting to slowly open up, and you know, I, it's not spreading as high. So. It really is mainly an American problem. Now, it's also a problem in other places like Africa, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, but compared to something like Ireland and and Germany and some of the other places outside the U.S., they knew how to deal with this better than we did. And... Uh, or what? You're saying something? I was going to say it's funny because I have been I have been on assignment uh, in, in Ireland and also to Zimbabwe or Zim as they call it and I actually had a blast both places but I know I'm set to do some work with a model from Zimbabwe and she was telling me how her parents are hunkering down in Zimbabwe so it's been really fascinating that it's such a world worldwide phenomenon um, and Ger- Germany, I've been to Germany too, and uh, everything I've read is that they're doing a pretty darn good job in handling it. But it's really fascinating to see just how, you know, how, how the world is dealing with one thing simultaneously. It's been really fascinating. But as I said, I've, I've really tried to use the time, not always the best. I mean, sometimes. I do put aside time for despair, but I've really tried to use it in a positive sense. And I really feel like uh, this documentary in progress that I've been working on, Unfollow Me, I've done animations for it. Uh, I was going to approach it one way, but during this time I decided to do it a different way. And another thing that I've done during this time of COVID-19, I've gone and looked at some of the videos, some of the raw materials that I've had in, you know, the, the, the storage facility and have been looking at ways to get that out. So, because that's one thing, even with COVID-19, you can always be on your computer and you can always be editing and you can always be thinking and you can always be writing. So you just have to you just this time has made you look at life in a different way and 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 looked looking for ways to be creative in a different way i'm sure you felt that no of course i mean i mean the other thing is because the economy is so bad a lot of people lost jobs and still at this point i mean the chance of getting a job is very uh well not not exactly as it was before definitely and you know there i mean you're just at a you're you're at a much worse chance than you were beforehand yeah i mean you know a lot of people are trying to fight for work and you know a lot of unemployment so i mean that's where people just go like okay what's my plan b and that i've thought of that too uh yeah, I uh, just been doubling down on this for now. I still have two semesters of school left, but I have no idea how effective that will be to getting a job in the thing that I originally studied for. Uh, especially, you know, seeing how things are going downhill regarding that. But yeah, I mean, this is the time to 
bring out more creativity, but also self-care is important too. And there are a lot of people in, in this world suffering. And if you feel like you just don't have the will to keep working and keep pushing out something, then that is perfectly fine. I mean, don't beat yourself up. Uh, everyone takes everyone deals with you know this kind of thing in their own way uh for me it's i just i have to do things you know it's just it's just me but every everyone deals with things in their own way their own way and we just have to have wish them everyone well and just just hope for the you know be positive i do uh, you know it's like i feel you know, so sad for seniors who weren't able to graduate from high school or college with all the pomp and circumstance. I feel for you and school and not really knowing what's next. And then, then facing a job market with a degree, not knowing what you'll be able to do with it. I feel for people who, cause I feel really blessed that I have traveled quite a bit much for work as a storyteller, as a journalist, yeah. much for my personal enjoyment. And I never had to worry about, you know, some kind of pandemic or the ghost of a pandemic when I hopped on a plane. So, I, you know, it's like all the adventurers who are, you know, stymied right now. I feel for, because I feel like really lucky that I've been able to have a lot of wonderful adventures that, folks were, are going to have to think twice about from now on, you know, until there's a, a vaccine, until there are therapeutics that are proven that people are, you know, willing to, you know, believe in. And I, I just, I feel for a lot of people because, you know, life is going to be forever different moving forward. Yeah, it will. And I don't think a vaccine's immediately going to jump the economy back up to 100%. I mean, it's going to take a new leader. It's going to take a new plan on how we run things. Because right now, things are not looking great. And even with this mandate uh, on, hey, you know what, you got to wear a mask. But that mandate came with a, okay, well, here's all these exceptions. And I read all the exceptions of the mandate here in Texas. And there is so much of it that you can pretty much keep not wearing a mask and it won't really make much of a difference. In fact, well, what? I'm just going to say, even in California, where uh, the governor has been, and I mean, I've heard a lot of complaints, but the governor is pretty much from the beginning, and, you know, even though from the beginning he's pretty much said, you know, shelter in place, wear a mask, and such and such people still don't you know i've gone and seen people with masks without masks all the time and uh, people who don't socially distance i mean you see all these viral videos of people acting a fool but there are so many people who resist doing it so whether there's a mandate or exceptions there's something about that some people's human spirit that doesn't want to wear masks anyway. Well, I think it's also this country's whole thing of, hey, land of the free will. And that's why I just rejected uh, 
Fourth of July, because I think that holiday is told BS, especially now. And that's getting people to say, hey, you know what? It's my right to not wear a mask. Don't tell me what to do. And that's what's pretty much put us that last place regarding the dealing with COVID-19 compared to everyone else. I mean, you go on the statistics. We are number one on cases. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to go back to your work because I, I think what you do is great. I mean, when we t talking about that short you did, I thought it was really sweet uh, watching it. It was it was very, very endearing. And you are learning about Hello Kitty, but also, I might add, some of the other work you've done. I mean, if we want to go by some that you reported on Afro-Mexicans Afro Afro of Los Angeles, which that part I thought is, was really cool, especially considering this past week, I also interviewed two gorgeous models who are both a mixed uh, race of color. Like one is a Afro uh, or Mexican, and then another one is a Afro uh, Filipina. And so it's that's actually I, I think it's just wonderful when you're mixing two races or two people of color together because you just kind of get a a specific culture i mean maybe not specific culture but you get kind of a specific identification that makes that person just feel very wonderful i know there are more and it isn't just them but i mean the fact that you reported on, on that i thought that was really cool to just show off some really amazing people who are two different races thank you i kind of stumbled across the idea you know i'm always looking for ideas to do as a journalist and I stumbled across it and was just so fascinated because nobody ever talks about it. I mean, I'd never heard anything about it. I didn't know that the majority of found the founders of Los Angeles were Afro-Mexican. I didn't know that Mexico, one of its presidents early was Afro-Mexican. I didn't know that there's a main boulevard in Los Angeles called Pico, named after Pio Pico, who was the last governor of California before America, you know, took over California. I had no idea. And he would have lunch with a woman named Biddy Mason, who was a former slave who became a multimillionaire landowner. So I learned, I didn't know until I went to parties as I covered this story about Afro-Mexicans of Los Angeles that many of the people who were there would come up to me and say, you look just like my grandmother or my grandmother is the same color you are. I didn't know that Mexico and Peru had more slaves than the United States did. I didn't know about the racism Afro-Mexicans or, or faced or, or yeah, I'm sorry, Afro-Mexicans, I'm, I'm not Americans, but in Mexico, they what the racism that they faced in Mexico being Afro-Mexican, and if they were out of their territory, police would say, you're not really Mexican, sing the Mexican anthem. I mean, it was just like, wow. And in Southern California, a lot of times you see tensions between African-Americans and 
Mexicans or um, Mexican-Americans. So when you saw this common thread, it really blew my mind. I mean, it it really, it it was a story that blew my mind. And I was really pleased that my video, because I I also did a a radio version of the story, but it blew my mind that um, there was so much interest in the topic. Uh, you know, millions of people have seen my story via AJ Plus that, you know, they commissioned me to do the story. I pitched it to to them and they commissioned it. And I just saw that a few months ago, they put it again out on Twitter. And I think it's had, you know, 600,000 views just on Twitter. So it's been really fascinating to me as a story. And I'm glad to see that, you know, audiences are also really fascinated by it because it's just, it's like, what, wait, what, what? It's just a history that you are never taught. And in fact, there w- weren't even any uh, census takers because you, 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 you were saying how you, you, talk, you interviewed somebody who was Afro-Mexican and how cool it was. It's like for a lot of Afro-Mexicans, it's a struggle in that they don't know who they are because there hasn't been much history told about who they are. So I was asking someone I interviewed, you know, who do you, what do you check when you're checking a census, you know, your race? And, you know, they're confused. And the main person that I interviewed for the story that was uh, commissioned by AJ Plus, she, she talked about being a young girl and being in the shower and scrubbing her skin, she thought she was dirty. And, and people, black people would be mean to her because, you know, like, who do you think you are? And Mexicans were like, you're, who do you think you are? So it, it was, a, it's a fascinating story, fascinating history. And that's what I love about telling stories, telling factual stories, is that you learn so much and your mind is constantly blown, but I, I learned so very much uh, in the process of doing that story about Afro-Mexicans in Los Angeles. I also, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another story that I learned a lot when I was doing it. I did a, a piece called Saturday Night Bingo with Miss Rosie that was picked up by KCET and Link TV. And it's about a transgender senior who calls bingo games or she was calling bingo games every saturday at the uh i don't know how to say a facility for older people in hollywood and she was transgender back in an age where she was telling me in san francisco she could be arrested for wearing women's lingerie underneath her clothes in San Francisco. So it, it just, a lot, you just learn so much about doing, again, stories about so-called subcultures. And I, I've done, you know, I've done quite a few stories about uh, the transgender community and consistently hearing that people who are transgender didn't know they were transgender. I mean, I remember doing a college student several years ago, more than 10 years ago, and he was saying how people would call me all these names 
And I was like, I don't know what I am. And that was the same thing that I heard from Miss Rosie. And so I think there's a real value today where these topics are talked about more. And for me, also adding to the mix, you know, via storytelling, because there's a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of confusion with transgender young people, you know, going back to Miss Rosie to talking to a college student today. So I always learn, uh, I always learn in the process of storytelling. And, you know, tragically, you all often learn about sad things. I mean, the, the suicide rate for transgender uh, boys and girls is terribly high. And when I hear about all the cruelty, it just, you know, it breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. Yeah, there is a lot of hate in this world and that I've I've never been okay with even when I was a kid. I hear, you know, there are plenty of people say, you know what, I mean, white people, they were okay with it or they just let racism and hate and, and uh, or, uh, uh, I mean, not just sexism, homophobia just go by. And I'll have to be honest, when I was a kid, I have experienced racism in, in school and I never found it okay. It just for, for, even if it was just for people trying to be edgy and tell these, uh, these lowbrow jokes, I never found them funny. Like I would see just an Asian person uh, walk by and there would be some uh, jerks who would go like, oh, you're an Asian. You can do my homework because that's what you are. And I'm like, okay, where, what's, what is even the joke of that? And, you know, some of them go ching chong chong. And I'm like, okay, what, what's, I'm trying to figure out what is funny about that. Like, I just get confused at the edginess that a, a lot of the kids in my school growing up have uh, been. And then even with, uh, I mean, because I've had, I've had friends who are Asian, who are Indian, who are black, that I've uh, gone to classes with. Now, most of my high school friends I have not seen in years, and pretty much the friends I've stuck with today are, you know, people today. I mean, there's, like, there's a couple friends in my high school, they stay connected with me. But anyway, that is not, that's beside the point. The point is that... I see people just now discovering that racism is real and actually getting confused. Like, okay, so what do I do and everything? And I'm like, I'm, wait, what do you mean what do you do? This is not right. I mean, what what do you do? And I, I At even... At least they're you know, asking. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's good. Easy. Is there anything you wanted to say about any of that? friends are asking because as I said that monster has been in the room has been in my room for as long as I can remember so it's because I'm I'm hearing sort of two things these days on one hand I am hearing people like your experience who want who want to do something about it and and you know it's like you look at it and you're hopeful you're a little cynical too, but you're hopeful that 
there's going to be a difference. And I will say that I did, I did see a lot of protests with a far majority of white people protesting after George Floyd than people of color. And I saw Asians protesting and I saw Latino people protesting, but there were a lot of white folk. And I have been covering protests pretty intensely. I mean, now and then I covered protests, you know, back in the day. And I even covered a protest with the KKK. But more recently, I have been covering protests since George Zimmerman was acquitted of killing Trayvon Martin. And I have seen with my own eyes the racial makeup of the protests. And I would say that there were a lot of white people at the protests, you know, starting seven years ago six years ago, but, you know, then Michael Brown, more so, but I've never, I've never seen so many white people be involved in a protest, and I've never seen so many consistent protests, you know, night after night. So that, I pray, means something. I'm also seeing a lot of brands you know, come out and say, um, you know, we're Black Lives Matter or, you know, we, we care about this. Again, I'm a little cynical, but I'm optimistic. Part of me does say, what took you so long? I mean, this has been around forever. Why are you suddenly seeing it? But the other part is, at least you're seeing it. On the other hand, I'm also seeing people who say, you know, the all lives matter, which is dumb, but I'm tired of hearing about all this and so on and so forth. So that part of the equation makes me, because I always try to have some kind of understanding to everything. When I see some of the comments that are very anti-Black, I think, oh, this is how slavery happened. This is how there are people out there who in, two, in 2020 have these beliefs that are, you know, anti-black and they're unashamed, you know, to say that that's how they feel. So, you know, it's like, who's going to win, you know, this, this, this battle? I just hope good. I mean, when you see somebody like John Lewis, who you know, just passed away, and you see that all that he went through, when I see my parents, who we are immigrants, we, we came to America by choice. My mother, you know, my, my parents' love for America, undaunted in spite of recognizing, you know, some flaws. But I see how they endured racism uh, 
and went on to earn their PhDs. I mean, they went forth no matter what. When I see John Lewis, who had his skull broken and still was a proponent of love and still moving forward, you have to think of that and not the trolls. You have to think of moving forward and not backward, even though there are so many things that you can read on social media today that you might think was written in the 1950s or, or earlier. So one of the things my mother has always said, how many good people are out there? How many bad people are out there? And she's always been a believer that there are more good people than bad people. And I think that if you don't have hope, whew, forget about it. You know, you, you have to, you have to have hope, especially with all that 2020 has shown us. You have to be realistic. Now, I'm, a, I'm someone who's realistic, but hopeful. And that's even behind, as I said, my latest project, Unfollow Me, about everyday racism. It's not, but it's connected to, but it's not the George Zimmermans who follow and kill a high school student for buying candy and and soda pop you know it's not that the the killing kind of anti-blackness but it's an everyday kind of anti-blackness that people you know Geraldo Rivera after Trayvon Martin was killed said you know if he hadn't been wearing a hoodie you know honey I wear high heels and dresses and I've been followed numerous times. My petite mother who has a PhD, she's been followed numerous times. And the people that you see in my Unfollow Me documentary, I don't think they're the stereotype of who folks think are followed. In fact, I have a friend who lives in Texas who was saying, I thought this happened in the South, you know, back in the 50s. No, it's happening in this century. So I think it's important to get that story out. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep working in my own little way to tell stories about life as a person of color. Yeah, and I think that was very wonderful what you're doing. What I want to say regarding in Texas, because I know you said, uh, you know, I, I like Austin, but I don't like Dallas, which, I mean, is a shame. I live closer <laughs> to... I oh, live... Dallas, oh, they're going to come after me in the Big D, but I like Houston. I like Austin, number one. Between Houston and Dallas, I do go for Houston. Well, I'll say I've been to Austin for South by Southwest, and I've enjoyed... Yeah, for the times I've been there a couple times. But, I mean, I think what... I mean, a lot of my friends are in DFW, so I guess that's why I enjoy... I wouldn't say just Dallas and Plano and Richardson and all that. But I, I want to say is that whatever did not get you about Dallas, I, I'll say there are amazing things that are going on in Dallas. And you mentioned kind of talking about stories of color and you know different 
places that have kind of accepted people. I hear from some other countries or some other places about the vegan community and how people of color are not looked at very well in the vegan community. Well, one of my old friends, Courtney Garza, she runs a lot of vegan pop-up events or vegan events around Dallas, around DFW. And when I would go to them, I would see so many black people who are not not even just, hey, you know what, they're vegans or anything, but they have their own artistic shops, their own things that they produce, or they're just attendees hanging out just amongst everybody else. And no, everybody was just treating everybody like a person. There was, yeah, there was no white people looked at and go, oh, there's a lot of black people over here. I don't, I don't know if I want to go that. No, it's just a multicultural hangout. Uh, sometimes indoors, sometimes outdoors. And it would be... I mean, she'd sometimes go to Austin, but I mean, a lot of it would be around the Dallas area. I look at that, I think, like, this should be every... Like, regardless if you're a vegan or not, this is something that I want to see as just the standard. Or what? You're saying that folks of color were not... People were saying that they were not accepted in the vegan community? Well, so... There were, I mean, I did some interviews and I've talked to some other people in other places and they would tell me that, yeah, they're vegan too, but in their community, they would see a lot of racism or a lot of rejection for people of color. I don't know if this is everywhere again. I'm just saying that from people I know from other states and even one from the UK that they've endured racism towards the, in the vegan community. But I'm, I'm just saying that over here in Dallas, I mean put vegan out of there it's just a festival of multiculturalism just coming together socializing laughing just having fun that's what i wanted to be just the standard for everywhere we can only wish but but i i remember i did a story that i is most memorable to me about yoga and how you know it's supposed to be love and you know calm and peace and there's a lot of lack of acceptance I remember one of the people I interviewed was Latina and she was crying, you know, thinking about how she, how when she tried to go to a yoga class, um, you know, predominantly white, she was not treated very well. And I spoke with a black yogi um, who, you know, talked about, you know, you're not supposed to be black and do yoga. So that's a community. But I also think about, I've been doing photography since my teens and I, you know, I've had my pictures published in books and, you know, now, now I've gone into a space because back then you kind of had to be a photographer or a writer. And I sort of chose writing and producing and, you know, I was a TV reporter and uh, worked on a primetime crime show as a on-air correspondent. You kind of had to choose somebody else did the photography but I started off doing the photography and I know when I first was in class you know my first photography class Sydney Foreman wonderful teacher there were two women in the class and I was the only black woman and I know subsequently when I've really gotten back into photography and I've been shooting and writing and directing and producing you know my shorts when I go into a camera store Oh my goodness. A lot of times I don't want to go in because I'm not, you know, it's like, 
I, I'm treated either they don't really want to help me or I'm treated like, well, you want that? And I would have studied and done research on, you know, what other equipment I'm getting for months. So I know what I want. And they were like, well, you don't know what you're doing and so and so and so. And it's annoying, but in a photography community, oftentimes it's majority white and majority male. It has been, especially when I started. I think there are more women getting into it. There, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of times I'm like, I'd rather buy it online because I just don't want to deal with that. It's just annoying. So there are these subcultures that are, that can bug the heck out of you. But then I also look at it like, you know, one place where I wasn't treated very nice um, in a community called Westwood, which the place is now out of business. When I went in and they were saying, oh, you don't know, you know, don't get this, blah, blah, blah. You don't know what you're doing. I thought, you know, they were that way to me, but it ends up the camera that I got there has shot a lot of video, including the Afro-Mexicans of, you know, Los Angeles. It's had millions of views. Uh, I've had my films shown in movie theaters. I've won awards. Uh, A Father to Die For premiered in... Arizona, 2,000 people gave it a standing ovation. So that's another way I like to fight anti-blackness and racism. Say what you want to say. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. See ya! That's my philosophy. No, that is a good philosophy. Is there, I mean, regarding your, uh, I mean, speaking of kind of fighting that and, you know, going into the, the product you're currently on, is there anything that you haven't said about your upcoming uh, film project that you want to say regarding Unfollow Me? You're asking. Well, I'm, it looks like I, I haven't gotten all the details yet, but it yeah. looks like the um, my initial Unfollow Me has been picked up for distribution, and I'm thrilled about that, and I hope to make a series out of it. You know, go beyond the original it's a it's a mini doc so i'm really excited about that one of the people who i showed it to in my focus group said you ought to make t-shirts so i've done that so if folks are interested they can find that on society six Way originals so and my my philosophy was for unfollow me that and usually I get commissioned to do, you know, I'll pitch a story, I get a commission to do my shorts. Miss Rosie, I just did on my own. And as I said, it was picked up by um, KCET and uh, Link TV. Unfollow me, I just said, I'm gonna do it. Whether, you know, if I put it on YouTube or Vimeo, I'm just gonna do this. But as I said, it looks like it is going to be picked up. I I should get more details about it this coming week. So I'm going all in and I do want to, as I said, flip it into a series because it's funny. I really didn't know who the audience was for it because when I've showed it to white people, universally I've heard, I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that existed. I've heard that universally from black people Particularly, I have a, a actually a black female friend who's a reporter in Texas. She said it happens to me all the time. 
<laughs> it happens to me all the time. So I'm hearing, you know, on one end, that's the norm. On the other hand, I've never even heard of this before. So I was really kind of trying to find out who my audience is. So I think I'm finding it. So, you know, that's, that's a project that's coming up. And, you know, I have some other things in the Barbie, but right now, unfollow me. Again, if folks want to get a t-shirt or something to support so I can move on to the series uh, that's on uh, Society6 and Nozizwe, N-O-Z-I-Z-W-E originals. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for wonderful stories, stories with heart. And unfollow me, the other thing that I really like about it is while it is about everyday racism, people who've watched it have given me really, I've been very pleased with the reactions from my focus group because uh, somebody I know who is a white woman said it gave me goosebumps and I laughed. And to laugh, and she laughed exactly when I wanted her to laugh in the movie. And then I have a, a friend who's African-American, a woman, who actually called it enjoyable. So to get a, and then I actually have a white male British friend who said it's avant-garde, dark, and interesting. So I've really enjoyed the the feedback that I've been able to get on it. So I'm, I, I really want more people to see it, whether they laugh or find it enjoyable or avant-garde more than anything I want them to think and to understand what the experience is of a person who's African African American every day what their experience is so I'm really I'm really looking forward to unfollow me but uh, if you know me you know that there's I always there's always a story that I want to tell and with heart and uh more to come yeah which i think is a great motivation to do all this especially during quarantine i mean people have been just trying to say okay how how do i do filmmaking and not infect people and i think people for the most part they either they found a way to work around things or they haven't but i always think that if the way is there then uh, go for it definitely now regarding racism, I mean the, the whole thing about uh, it, what, I mean earlier when you said that feeling very skeptical, skeptical, ske- what <laughs> I'm mispronouncing skeptical. Uh, That's easy for you to say. Anyway, uh, 